Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist. With me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Susie Annie about her literary novel, To Fill a Yellow House. Susie studied philosophy, politics and economics at Warwick before completing an MA in creative writing at UEA. There, she was a recipient of the Coet Scholarship and her writing has been shortlisted for the White Review Short Story Prize. In this episode, we talk about how the changing UK high street inspired her novel setting her different approach writing a novel compared to writing a short story, and how she felt when her book sold in 48 hours. But first, here's Susie with an excerpt from To Fill a Yellow House. The boy will live and die here, on this street that cuts the heart of town. A quaint street by day, a corridor of boutique shops and higgledy-piggledy markets arranged over a bridge. The bridge rises, plateaus and falls in so gentle an arc that until today... Its incline was imperceivable to the boy. Here he comes, the newest boy in town, watching his shadow advance over a patchwork of paving slabs alongside his aunties. Wait, the boy's auntie says. The boy, named Quissy, stops. As he waits, he looks around. There, on the wall by the post box, is a familiar poster. The poster is a recent addition to many of the shop windows on the street. It shows a cast of figures dancing, and a smile of multicoloured bunting hanging across the cloudless sky. The letters are too swirly to read, but their meaning is clear enough. Something is going to happen here soon. Ahead, shoppers flurry from the supermarket. Wait, wait, the boy's auntie says again. She is considering her shopping list, which she has written in blue ink on the back of a receipt. This time, as he waits, the boy looks at his shoes. A crack has split the pavement where he stands and runs from there into the road. The road here is like the crust of a bread roll that is swollen and cracked. Traffic slows, approaching the scar of potholes, and one by one vehicles hiccup over the fault. The street slopes downhill ahead, where town is an array of glass fronts and awnings, from the off-licence to the chip shop, parks and churches, schools and homes, a small piece in the puzzle of London. Let's go, the boy's auntie says, and folds her list away. Come. They walk a little further before the boy's auntie stops again, this time by a sign, a blackened sign, between the newsagents and the old cinema that proclaims in bold letters High Street. 
Hi, Susie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today to talk about your debut novel, To Fill a Yellow House. Hi, Chloe. It's great being on. Um, So thanks so much for having me. So can you start by giving us a little introduction, telling us what your novel's about and uh, yeah, telling us everything about To Fill a Yellow House? Yeah, so um, it's, I guess at its heart, it's a story about like friendship, about an unexpected friendship between um, like a British Ghanaian teenager, Chrissy, and a shopkeeper called Rupert, who's struggling a bit with like grief. And it's about also the wider community around this eclectic charity shop that's kind of failing, along with lots of other aspects of the high street um, that the story set around. So it's about those relationships that take place um, around the shop and the com- the kind of conflicting interests and conflicting hopes that people have for the shop as well as the stories around the shop because it's it's sort of a charity shop although that's a little bit complicated um or it's a secondhand shop I suppose so yeah there are all kinds of items that turn up there and people's lives become entangled with it in different ways um and in a sense some of the characters are kind of haunted by what it used to be uh, but at the same time, as high streets are going through a lot of pressure to change and stuff, there's a sense of the question of what the shop might become. And along with that, what other characters around it might become and how their lives might also change and what community might become too. Yeah, you mentioned there about kind of the changing shop and your novel deals a lot with gentrification and the changing high street, really. So I wondered whether that was your starting point for the story even before your characters what was your kind of early inspiration for the story oh it's really hard to think about because I feel like the story it's kind of inside my imagination for a long time before it emerges as a story so lots and lots of things over a long period of time fed into it um but yeah high streets and the setting of a space that is shared by different groups of people and a space where their lives overlap in a public space but also in like very private ways um for a sense of like their sense of belonging or their sense of how they relate to a local area and community those questions yes it was very much a sense of the relationship between character and setting that was like a core part of my first way into the story and then there were other ways as well so yeah the character of Chrissy was definitely um a big starting point for actually writing the story I suppose like his voice came to me like quite clearly and tied to that setting, the rest of the story and the plot kind of developed from there. So they came to you together at the same time. It, was, it wasn't like a, you worked on the characters and then you suddenly had this idea of this charity shop. They kind of came to you almost fully formed. Yeah, I would say characters come quite like fully formed with my stories. Setting kind of unfolds in relationship with the characters. And I like to think about like the way that place shapes people and the way that people can also shape the places that they move through to. So they evolved like definitely side by side. Um, and I think part of the editing was like playing with the balance between the story of the place and the story of characters. Um, Cause some points it felt like place, I was getting a bit carried away, like exploring the, the <laughs> of place and stuff um, when the focus could have been a bit more introspective. So yeah, they definitely evolved together and then it's more a negotiation of like how much of each dimension to explore in different parts of the story. Mm. Your setting descriptions are absolutely beautiful. So I, I'm not surprised you kind of lent on them because I think you've got such a lyrical way of describing even, you know, even mundane things like you, like the high street. It's it's beautifully described. Oh, thank you. 
I think, yeah, I think part of it is that I started out writing like fantasy novels. And I think my heart will always kind of be in that super enchanted space. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just drawn to books that have that sense of the magic of, of being in a space and will, will kind of celebrate it almost in a mindful way, really mundane or everyday things. Um, and I think that that can create a really immersive experience when reading. Mm. So when writing as well, I felt like I kind of felt that the setting was so real. To me, I wanted to bring as much of that out. Um, and it was, it was, it was films get carried away just writing with nothing happening, <laughs> just having a, a place. I am, like, okay, I am exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> but then maybe it leans towards, like you said, when if you're used to writing fantasy and you enjoy writing fantasy, it's the world building, isn't it? And and exactly. you have to do it however you write fiction and whatever genre you write in. But perhaps your your talent for world building plays quite nicely into contemporary writing as well. I hope so. <laughs> I think um, genre is something that I'm like a lot more conscious about when I'm writing like novels as well, because I like short stories too. Um, but with a novel, because it's a longer thing, I'm trying to be like, okay, let's try and stay um, with the, the the norms or perhaps the kind of texture that would work best in this kind of a story. I'm a bit more conscious of that. So yeah, it's great when people do enjoy the more poetic or playful aspects that have kind of been influenced by other genres. It's interesting what you say about um, the kind of the magical and fantastical, because in the early chapters, we're seeing the world through Quasi's eyes and it is more magical, it is more playful. Was that more challenging to write because you're doing it from a slightly childlike perspective or was that more fun to write in that voice? Definitely more fun to write, I think. Yeah, definitely. I I think, like, because it's the beginning of the story as well, it, it felt like a great way to just explore the story and explore the world. Yeah, like you said, with the world building, because um, you're literally just moving through it as a person who's new to that world and because Chrissy has just moved to that part of London as well everything is literally new and everything is exciting or extremely terrifying like kind of these really vivid and amplified experiences of, of what other people might just find normal and because you've got that child's sense of wonder and playfulness as well um you could have fun with things that um might yeah the, the mundane and also asking lots of questions and having that curious approach to the world as a child who's trying to understand things and trying to see where he fits in and where adventures can kind of lead um, them in, in their games and in their playfulness. I think also like setting it in summer where everything's so bright, warm. It just felt like a really positive um, part of the writing. And I think also because it was winter when I was actually writing it, it's just kind of escapist. It's like, okay, I'm in a sunny world as a, a kid with no worries and, well, some worries, but different worries that in perspective are relatively fun to explore um, and there's a lot of I think poetic resonance or kind of metaphors you can play with from that child's eye point of view um, just because of the sensitivity I think Quesia's character is also like very sensitive so yeah it felt like quite a mindful part of the writing process really looking around the scene and exploring town and sketching it out literally sketching it out sometimes as well um, no, I loved that part of the writing, definitely. So I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about your two main characters. We've got Quasi and Rupert, um, who are both outsiders, and they form this 
unlikely friendship. So I was wondering whether you could tell us a bit more about how that friendship came to you and what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so yeah, the friendship is definitely like really central to the story and to both characters' like, development and how they see themselves and how they see the world around them afterwards. It was partly inspired by my work. So I worked in local government before um, I went, I took a year out to do the MA at UEA. Yeah, like thinking about high streets was, it was kind of inevitable because it was just so, it was on the news all the time, like all these shops closing, um, there's so much disruption happening, partly because people are shopping online and a bunch of other factors as well. And it was, it was, yeah, it was something that felt at the same time terrifying, but also like we were on the brink of a kind of a change, a transformation to the way that cities work. And it was a matter of trying to, um, yeah, trying to understand what's happening and work out like how to support like local communities and stuff going through those changes. Um, and so the idea of uh, like a shop as a refuge or a safe space was something that came out of some work that I was doing. And there's a scheme, I can't remember what it's called, but it started up in South London. Um, and that's where um, shops can sign up to be sort of safe spaces for um, people who are in an emergency situation, like if you're being chased or if you just need to call the police or get help, emergency help. And they'll display like a sticker at the window to kind of signal that this is a safe space. And that idea like really stayed with me after I left local government um, because it it's kind of opening a different dimension of the high street, which is, I suppose, at its core, it's a, a business space and it's about trade and transactions and selling stuff so yeah the idea of having like a safe space in this context and having shopkeepers that just volunteer to be open to this and to recognize that there is a need sometimes for like emergency help really stayed with me and I was thinking about that interface and the different characters that might be drawn together no matter how briefly um by that that kind of scheme by being part of that kind of scheme and the Rupert shop isn't technically like officially signed up to anything. It does become a kind of refuge for Chrissy, and partly because like when he first moves to the area, it's it's just such an exciting space, and it really stands out because it's an unusual kind of shop. And he's so curious about like the different items in it and the different roles it seems to take on as a space. So yeah, I wanted to explore like that kind of interface between lives and different. Um, very different characters in a community who might have lived like very parallel lives that never really intersect but because of unexpected circumstances find themselves together and yeah I was curious about like the different harmonies and resonances between their lives they might find um and the kinds of ways in which they could enrich each other's lives um as well as the ways in which they're very different um but I think what unites Rupert and Chrissy is that they find a sense of belonging and refuge in the shop and as well as sense of purpose as well to kind of drive them forward yeah and it just felt like there was so much I keep using the word poetic but I don't know what the other what the word for it would be but it's just the contrast between um their lives and their situations and um the circumstances that kind of pull them together that I found really inspiring and that I found really intriguing to explore um but also I think it also represents or symbolizes something about cities and about the randomness and about the different ways in which you can well the different kinds of like, communities that can come together in cities and find themselves 
having lots of things in common that they might not have expected from a distance. Um, and also in that kind of quiet, almost a shared solitude, because it's such a, um, a quiet shot at some moments when they're, they're both there. Um, so it's that introspective growth, but internal kind of growth that happens when you find a space that there is a sense of peace or calm. And when you can recognize something about your sense of belonging in the space around you, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I liked exploring the different ways in which Rupert and Chrissy see the world. I think they've got very different degrees of optimism or like um, the way that they see the world is, Rupert's quite jaded, supposed to be blunt. Like he's quite, um, he's grieving and there's a lot of, there are a lot of negative emotions around how he feels about the shot because of the loss that he's gone through. Um, but at the same time, because he's also got his own sense of loss with his family. So it's the sense of, yeah, again, like the harmonies between their different lives, um, but also the contrasts and the ways in which those contrasts, so Chrissy's passion for art, can also um, challenge Rupert on some of his more pessimistic approaches or ways of viewing the, the town. And at the same time, the way that like Rupert's face and, and his words of encouragement can also make a difference to Chrissy in the, con in the context of, his sort of school life and home life as well. Um, and yeah, I just, I really like contrast and, and the unexpected harmonies or resonance that can come about when you have those contrasting experiences coming together. I don't know whether you've had this advice when you were writing or maybe on your UEA course, but I've, I've heard that when you're kind of writing relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, your characters should be fulfilling something that that other character is missing and I think your characters do that really well so whether that was conscious or not I don't know that is really good piece of advice I, I hadn't had that put so like <laughs> you've, you've um, managed to achieve that without having that a bit of advice so that's great <laughs> yeah I think I think it does make a big difference when um there are kind of gaps that another personality another person's experience can speak to and can can help add to and yeah, definitely that is a big case. I think also like the intergenerational, like the gap between the, um, just when they were young, like Rupert's had his, his time of being really young and, and excited about being in London, being in the city. Um, and that's kind of ahead of Chrissy as well. So they're both moving through life from slightly different trajectories and are able to speak to each other's experience from those gaps that, that emerge across where they are. You've already mentioned about community and how important that was for you in terms of deciding what you're going to write about. So um, was it a conscious theme that you wanted to write about or was it something that that came just as you were writing about the high street and, and these characters? I think it's conscious in a sense. It wasn't, it didn't feel like so central, it was, would be so central to the story when I started out perhaps, but it did become um, yeah, one of the bigger themes of the novel. Um, I think I'm always interested in how people relate to each other and how they relate to space. And I suppose the, the more um, eloquent way of, of describing that is community. And yeah, just the bonds between different people in, a, in an area is community. Um, yeah, but also like overlapping communities and people who belong to multiple communities at the same time and how that can kind of, um, bring out tension where like, different interests or different agendas um, or different pressures can point in different directions. 
um, yeah, so community as a space of like freedom, I was interested in, but also as a space that kind of imposes its own boundaries and its own norms and its own restrictions and that negotiation between, um, yeah, that freedom and um, feeling a bit more restricted perhaps was something that I, I felt was an interesting aspect of communities to explore, as well as how it can map onto real spaces and how so much of it does depend on real, space, real spaces. And um, I think with Tulip's character as well, that felt like a lot more explicit, the sense of the importance of shared spaces for community and the sense of those spaces being under threat in some parts of the city as well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I wanted to touch on now your your writing past, I suppose. Um, and you have been writing short stories and you... Um, actually, one of your stories was shortlisted for uh, the White Review Short Story Prize. So I wondered what your approach was in terms of, was it very different from writing a short story when you were starting to write a novel or did you start in the same way you'd approach a short story? How did it work for you? I guess logistically like planning or I know obviously a short story is much smaller, but did, was the process similar? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think like very different process. Yeah. It was so different. I think also like I, I can get quite carried away with ideas and I enjoy being able to follow characters where they take the plot. And with a short story, that feels a lot more um, sustainable, maybe like a a fair approach to take. But with a novel, I think there's definitely a need to have a much clearer sense of where it's going Mm. um, and of the beats of a plot and um, yeah, setting things up so a reader can 
end of the story at a point that makes sense and kind of go so I think I was more self-conscious writing the novel and more sober and aware of what's going on even if I wasn't always in control of it um but like try to come more in control of it through the editing but yeah with a short story I I think I enjoy short stories a bit more because of that like playfulness I don't know about you but yeah I know what you mean I think there's less pre- less pressure in a weird way exactly. it's a, as, again because it's a shorter project and you think well if it's 10,000 words and it doesn't go anywhere then it doesn't matter but when you embark on a novel it's you know 90 100,000 words so it feels like uh it's 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 like a well it's to go back to kind of like a a running analogy it's a marathon isn't it so you you've got got a lot more at stake if you uh, are writing a novel absolutely yeah but at the same time I think in a novel there's a lot more scope to explore like the growth that characters go through um in on their like internal journeys and I think that is that brings out like a lot more um like depth maybe to the novel writing experience so it felt more immersive writing novel than writing short stories and I feel like the characters because I spend so long with them in a novel I feel a lot more invested in them maybe I still care about short story characters for sure but I'm more haunted by the novel especially like while I was working and I, I was kind of writing an intense verse and then um going out and getting with my life those characters kind of in my head like you've left us here what's happening um but with a short story it was a lot more contained like I can walk away from it and it's, it's there it's doing the thing but yeah the novel definitely like was more immersive writing it and you've already mentioned your UEA course which we'll talk about in a minute but where did your love of writing begin was it something that you've loved forever like would it begin from childhood absolutely yeah I I always get, I always get shivers when I hear writers say that They've, they've been writing for songs I can remember it feels like you know, it's it's just so mysterious what makes people start making up stories and gravitate towards the, the world of the imagined and I I think because I grew up like with siblings and we shared a room and we would always like talk stories to each other if that makes sense like, we weren't exactly telling stories but just as like you might play with like Playmobil you ever did that or like yeah. dolls yeah all that kind of thing and have like little scenes that you play out mm-hmm. we would keep talking through them when we got put to bed so we'd pretend that we still had them when they were doing their plots and so kind of living in a fantasy world a lot of the time and then at school I think because I was like I was really shy at school as well it was easy to to connect with people through storytelling and to find um like common interests and stuff by going into almost a transcendent realm where you can become anything and you can be an animal or you can be a, a fairy or something really fantastical and um you don't have to feel like really self-conscious or anything like that it felt like a very freeing way to be when I was young um and I think also like being a reader as well I just love reading I love like fantasy <laughs> novels and even just big picture books with just fairy tale books I loved I had to be forced off them to read chapter books I just loved like the the pictures and the um the magic of them like the kind of enchanted feeling you got from because it's like being under a spell when you read words and you can conjure up a whole world in your head and you know that someone else reading it will also be able to have that but it'll be slightly different and it's it's just very um expansive feeling that became quite addictive growing up yeah 
I don't know about you, but every time we had a, a school lesson and they'd say, right, today we're going to write a story, I'd be like, yes, now yes. it's my time. <laughs> exactly. Were you also writing from like really young then? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I used to like literally fold pieces of paper in half and like make my own books, draw yeah. the cover and everything. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> So yes, let's talk about your UEA course because you received the COIT scholarship. And I think everyone knows that UEA is, is a really prestigious place for writing courses and it's very sought after. So can you tell us about this experience and, and what the course is like for you and, and maybe what the most significant thing you learned was? Yeah, um, so I didn't work on um, To Fill the Other House while I was at UEA. I went in with a different novel. And they do say once you start, like, don't see the course as a place to focus on a particular work in fiction, see it as a place to explore writing in general and to, um, yeah, just think about the craft itself rather than about finishing a specific project. And that is definitely um, something that helped because there was so much that I wanted to write. And yeah like having a year out to do it it felt like I've got to try everything and I want to also finish this novel I've gone in with so it was very intense in terms of like what I was going in with in my head um but at the same time like having a community of writers who were like equally excited about writing and equally keen to get a lot out of the year it was just amazing it was really really amazing um and Norwich is a really special city as well like it's really special city it's so I don't know what the word for it is. It's quite, um, it's quite a quiet city, quite small. I think you can walk it. And I think like knowing so many people, so many writers live there and so many kind of great people live there and have moved through it gives it like a kind of energy. Um, and yeah, just kind of knows around the bookshops. And of course, like just being there as a creative writing student as well, felt like a license to go in with that, that sense of being a writer. And I think that's a big part of what I, um, took away from the course like feeling like I could call myself a writer and like I didn't have to keep that secret or kind of downplay it every time I said oh I've got like a story that I'm working on but it's only this and so like it was a space to kind of take writing seriously and to say that writing is a really magical thing and it should be taken seriously and it can be celebrated because it, it, it does matter um and yeah there's so much like technical stuff that I've learned that I'm still processing and unpacking and trying to think about uh, we'll probably think about for years um but workshopping was the biggest like change because I'd never really shared my work in a a setting that was yeah so quite so critical um with a view to like improving your writing I shared with friends and maybe with um taking a smaller kind of bespoke creative writing course before as well alongside work that felt like Bit less intense than having lots of other students all looking at your work and kind of giving you feedback on it um that was yeah really really helpful experience but also very intense like quite emotional at times as well um especially writing um more personal things and sharing that in a workshop but everyone was so thoughtful and generous and sincere and it was all about like improving the writing and, and getting the story to be as good as it could be and it's also having space to read i think is so important um, like I'd not really had time to think strategically about, well, not strategically, but I guess thinking about the bigger picture of fiction that I want to take in and engage with. I would kind of buy books based on 
what I saw caught my eye. And yeah, I was thinking about fiction in a more, um, I guess in a more academic way because it, is more, it was more academic context and challenging myself to read books that I wouldn't normally read and to read writers that I kind of thought, well, that's too literary for me. I couldn't possibly engage with that or that's not what I would typically go for. Just really challenging myself to read outside my comfort zone and going for more to like a crime module. I don't read crime fiction normally, but it, I learned so much about like plot, suspense, characterization. read some amazing books as well. It was just a really like world expanding experience, I suppose, yeah. Mm. And how did you go then from that and having your idea for your novel to then getting your agent, Juliette Mushins? Yeah, so that was, um, uh, that was a really, really exciting experience, like, because I think because I was excited about the novel when I'd, written, I'd never written anything so contemporary, I suppose, like so grounded in reality, even if it still feels a bit not quite real. Um, it was more focused on the city that I knew. Um, so that felt exciting, especially because I just moved back to London after the MA. And I sort of sent it out to a few other agents nervously got some good responses and then I said okay let me try sending it to Juliet because I'd seen her from a distance I'm like she looks amazing like imagine working with Juliet Washington and so I sent it out and yeah she really liked it and got back to me so quickly as well like I think one thing I struggle with in publishing and it's like a big part of publishing as well so it's kind of hard to avoid is just the waiting like there's so much waiting at every stage and I just couldn't deal with it because I just be thinking about it and trying not to think about it but still thinking about it um but yeah, Juliet was always like really clear, like communicating, like, hey, it might take this amount of time for me to read this, or um, yeah, just being really clear about the stages. And she was just really enthusiastic from the get-go, which was amazing and felt very surreal. And it was just before lockdown. Okay, spoke to her um properly, like just when lockdown had started, I think. So it was the everything was very surreal. It was just the very what is life, what is existence, <laughs> what is the world time and um yeah it was just a, an amazing experience to happen and I felt very lucky as well um with timing and stuff and glad that I'd like actually sent the work out because sometimes I would think I don't want to send it because I don't want to get a rejection because yeah. like that kind that does hurt mm-hmm. uh, but yeah taking a risk and sending stuff out I'm just glad that I was able to do that and yeah it was it was a really great process I think you talk about waiting and, and obviously waiting is a, a thing that we have to experience a lot when we're being published. One thing you didn't have to wait long for was your book deal because your novel sold in under 48 hours. So tell us what that was like as an experience, because I imagine it was pretty incredible. That's the thing. I didn't have anything to compare it to. And I think I, I would definitely say like demystifying the process is really important like like to ask questions and stuff like what to expect but I didn't know like what to expect so it felt like a really long time for me <laughs> like every it's the hour. refreshing the emails and the waiting for yeah. the phone ring yeah yeah and I was just constantly like chatting to my sister like oh my gosh I don't know what's happening <laughs> and I think just knowing that editors are reading it made it made time do weird things like time was like really distorted um but it was it was a really great response and it was amazing to have um yeah Francesca um take an interest in it and read it so quickly as well because it does take time to read a novel mm-hmm. um so yeah it's really amazing and again that all happened 
during lockdown with the pandemic happening so the whole thing was just very surreal mm-hmm. and I just moved as well so I was in a new little studio somewhere um and it was just things were changing very quickly that's the thing with publishing is like things can move very slowly and then when they do move it's just everything everything's happening very intensely so yeah it's a really really strange world but um very exciting as well yeah so if there's one thing that you've learned since becoming a debut author that maybe you wish you'd known right at the start right before this all happened what would it be do you think um okay it's gonna sound like, like a bit of a cliche but um definitely true it's about asking questions and everyone does say like oh ask questions if you have them but really ask questions if you have them because there's no um there's no like common baseline for knowledge a lot of what people do know about the process is kind of picked up in bits and pieces like there's no kind of induction to being a debut author um and I think asking questions is just the best way to be rather than letting them kind of build up inside you I wish I'd um gone in with that mentality of everyone like starts from not knowing what's going on and everyone will need to ask questions to get the information that they need and there's no such thing as a silly question or too many questions um but yeah I think like I would would have gone in with that sense of just ask all the questions all the questions rather than having them inside you um and also like community is really important too connecting with other writers as a way to ask questions as well but also just to just to connect you know and to know that um yeah there's a there's a whole world of writers who experience same thing like same excitement same nerves and um a lot of like similar stresses and worries going through the process um and being able to share and learn together makes the process like not just easier but just fun as well mm-hmm. um yeah I think if you have a community of writers or are able to plug into that it makes a massive difference and along those lines if there's someone out there working on their first novel or maybe their third novel and they haven't been published yet what one bit of writing advice would you give to someone I think it would be about being true to the story like staying true to the story and don't worry too much about the publishing machinery around it or the process or the um marketing writing synopsis is horrible but like while you're writing the novel just enjoying the actual story and being true to where the story is going I think that's really important um yeah and having fun with it which comes I think from being true to the story and staying focused on being as a writer rather than worrying about marketing or um, networking or other aspects of the, the wider process having that space um to just get lost in your own story is so important and is what I love most about the process I think and probably what readers enjoy as well like getting lost in these worlds and getting immersed and discovering new characters and places as well so yeah I think it does come across as a writer if you're able to do that. Mm. And thinking about readers now are there any novels that you can compare to Fill the Yellow House to ones that you think share similar themes or something about them that I know is normally the job of the marketer to to come up with comp titles but can you think of any for us I think okay probably the first novel I read that felt like um it was speaking to the London that I knew and speaking to kind of the themes I was interested in exploring was Brick Lane uh, by Monica Ali from ages ago I read it when I was in secondary school and it just blew my mind because it felt so 
kind of elegant, but also like really, really complex and really honest about some of the messiness of relationships and the messiness of city life and the magic of city life as well. And I think because there's also the kind of different generations having their perspectives um, within families and within wider relationships in the community, yeah, that, that really deepens the, the novel and enriches the reading experience. I loved that novel so much. I mean, to reread it actually, but I think um, write, in terms of like writing about London or writing about a city and writing about um, different cultures and the way that they kind of meet and interact and overlap and the conflicts that can arise as well as the harmonies and resonances and unexpected connections, Brick Lane definitely. And finally, I don't know whether you were able to tell us, but are you working on anything new at the moment? I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm really superstitious. I don't know if you get this, but I just feel like talking about a new project yeah. changes something. Sometimes yeah. I think when I speak about something new, when I'm vocalising it, I'm almost convincing myself that it's terrible. So I totally understand oh, nice. uh, yeah. the hesitancy to to reveal it, but I'm really excited that you are working on something new and I really look forward to hearing more about it when the time comes. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Susie. Thanks so much for having me. That was Susie Annie talking about her literary novel To Fill a Yellow House, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.